Extension goes remote. Ethanol plants deal with falling demand and a look at what's happening in California. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. This week, we start in the Midwest, where university extension experts are finding new ways to reach farmers and ranchers, and it's working. We also look at issues surrounding ethanol plants and what that means, not only for corn producers, but also livestock users of feed byproducts. Then it's off to California, where COVID-19 is a big issue, but in the background, there's another problem, drought. We dig in on both. Mindy Ward, the editor of Missouri Ruralist, is our first guest, sharing what she's finding out about the work of extension and ethanol plant issues. Mindy, it's uh, good to catch up with you in Missouri. A couple of things I think have come up as I've watched your coverage the last few days uh, is regarding extension and ethanol, two big E's right now in the middle of COVID-19. But let's start off with what's happening in your area. What are the hot topics I think you're seeing in Missouri that you're hearing from farmers? Well, right about now, we have heard about uh, the weather. It turned drastically cold. Uh, I had some friends who were in northern Missouri yesterday woke up to snow, and I believe some of them have woke up to snow again today. And uh, some of our guys actually in the northeast planted corn already. So um, there's been a little bit of concern with regard to those cold temperatures, those seeds sitting in there, the what is going to happen with quality issues, stand, that type of thing. So that's been one of the concerns. We went from a really good high temperatures to really cold low temperatures and that's supposed to be until Saturday of course that's nothing to you Willie up in the north (laughs) (laughs) of course not but uh, yes we've got snow we've had so snow squalls it's been a very interesting time so but I know I was surprised to see that it this cold dipped down that far I think we're finally going to warm up too and as we record this on Thursday uh, April 16th I think it's interesting that here we are what I would call the the beginning of the peak of the upper midwest corn planting season and it might be 55 here sunday so it's finally getting warm so that's good news our extension agent um one of our specialists greg loose uh he was talking about wheat the other day in in one of our zoom calls and he discussed the fact of we weren't as bad as kansas so our wheat crop should be okay because that was a little bit of a concern um that you saw from farmers and asking questions with regard to how will that fare in these cold temperatures. But we're at the stage that he thought we should be all right. Yeah, I heard that in Kansas. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the crop was jointed when this freeze went through. The first freeze wasn't that big a deal, but this time around the crop is jointed. So we're going to have to see where that impacts the winter wheat crop. Um, It's kind of a yay boo. It's like you want a crop, but bad news winter sometimes does things for the price so that helps me a little on the back end um you made an interesting comment you were on a zoom call with extension do you think anybody knew what zoom was before two weeks ago no i'm not sure i even knew (laughs) um it's pretty impressive uh just how much they're getting done uh, with extension and with zoom and i'll give you a couple of examples right now mu extension has town halls and they're all via Zoom Wednesdays at the moment. They're playing with the time um, on crops as we move forward into the planting season. Right now it's in the afternoon. But farmers have access to specialists around the state. Now, I call them extension specialists here. I know they're extension agents across the country. So same type of person. But they're your livestock guy, your crops guy. And they can tune into these town halls and just listen to what they're saying. And the best part 
is they get to go and they can chat with them. Either they can go on before and send um, some type of questions to their IPM and, and that's their website and they'll answer them on the call or while the farmer is just on the Zoom call, they can send up a chat on the bottom. And they've had a number of individuals who have tuned in and checked out what they were saying. I, I think it's just a great way for these extension guys to really, and gals, to actually reach farmers directly. Um, it's been really good. Yeah, I don't think this is going away. I mean, after we get past this, I think this extension and farmers may find this new level of communication of value, um, whether it's on Zoom or whatever platform the universities decide to do. It's promoting that. It's good. You know, it, we we laugh about this sometimes, but we love our extension agents, our, our folks in the country that can help us out. They're valuable to us. Catching them sometimes is a problem. So, yeah, if you know you can corral them on Wednesday in the afternoon, at least you can get your questions answered. Right. And it's not just like at the state level. I found so many of like the local uh, university extension, people, whether it's 4-H, um, they're going on and having Zoom calls with their junior leaders or their club meetings have Zoom calls or um, like some of this dairy specialists will have individual calls for just a group of women in dairy. Um, and then landowners, there's lady landowners that have a luncheon every Thursday and they get on a Zoom call together. They can turn on their video if they want to see one another and have that interaction while we're in self-isolation and just chat with one another. But they also learn a lot. But it's it's interesting to see that it goes all across and it's really picked up speed, I think, here in the last month or so. But when we talk about extension, that's what extension is about, right? It's really about that agent being on your farm or being in the county, and he, he or she can't do that. So, yes, if we can leverage these tools. Um, as we go forward, I and mean, you've talked to a couple of extension agents, are they surprised by the farmer interaction on this? I think it did catch a lot of them by surprise because, for the most part, they are used to going to their farm. And I'll tell you, Zach Irwin, he's a great livestock extension agent up there in northern, north central Missouri about Kirksville. And you could just hear it in his voice of he really misses going to cattle barns and sitting and talking to guys. He really misses dropping by their farm and just talking about what was going on and being able to go to the farm but he is reaching out and he says they text me more. Um, he's able to have Zoom calls with them. He reaches out by Facebook. He is trying to stay connected because, as he said, they need that connection, too, as extension agents as well as farmers. They, they both are just those people that need people. So. Right. And I think the issue, too, Mindy, right now, and this is a huge issue, um, especially on the livestock side, I have now got to figure out. Mm how to not feed that steer. I need to feed that steer in a way that keeps it in condition, but doesn't destroy my feed budget because I can't take it to market. And someone like, he, he could be a valuable tool for that farmer, that, that cow-calf guy trying to figure that out, or the guy that's got animals, he's trying to move up the chain because they're not going anywhere. So yeah, I think that we're in a, we're actually in a kind of a crisis where the, the extension agent has been kind of pushed aside in some markets in some ways, may become more valuable than they've been in a long time. Do you see that kind of thing happening? 
Oh, wholeheartedly. Um, that is like one of the number one questions that has been each week that we've been on MU town halls. They actually have one that's a section for forage and livestock and then one that's a section for crops. So you don't have to listen to everything. You can pick your specialty and every single one on the livestock um, forages that I've been on. Boy, Wesley Tucker has had to talk about what do I do with these calves? Now, what am I doing with these calves? And his thing is reach out, you know, the extension agents are still there mm-hmm. on a phone. You know, if you want to talk to them, they're still available to help you with, you know, nutrition, with formulating rations, um, with just giving you ideas of do I put them on grass? Do I not? Fortunately, we're at Cal-Calf State with a lot of grass. Right. Uh, right. But he gives those options. And farmers need to remember that, that the extension agents are still there by phone. Right. And we, we do have our experts in the field from our commercial sources, but those extension agents, mm-hmm. they know your farm and they know the county. And I think that's important too. the the region, not always county level, but region. And that's important, too. The other area we've been talking about and, and we, we talked about a little bit in an earlier podcast. And those of you listening to Around Farm Progress can, can go back and listen to an earlier episode. But uh, ethanol, uh, I'm I'm. Cool. I think the ethanol industry has done an amazing job from the standpoint of public relations on providing sanitizer. Uh, That's a great place to use the ethanol uh, since it can't go into fuel, but I don't think that's very profitable. What are you seeing on the ethanol side um, in terms of really what this means for the corn market and the ethanol market? Right. We have uh, six ethanol plants here in the state of Missouri. Uh, Majority of them are farmer owned. They have like 276-ish million capacity. Yeah, but um, right now, all of them are either idling back production or, like you said, they refocused. Um, I did a story on Show Me Energy um, that's up there, and they're a 60-million-gallon facility, and they produced 50,000 for industrial ethanol, which was great. And he even said, it, you know, that's a wonderful thing. They wanted to do it. It was something they could do to help out, you know, the rural healthcare workers who weren't necessarily on the – here is I'm going to give you this hand sanitizer and it's going to go to the rural markets versus the urban markets where you're seeing the influx of COVID. Mm-hmm. So they were providing a service. But even he said, you know, that's 50,000 and we're used to producing 150 to 160,000 per day. You know, there that won't make up the difference. And I think a number of them are very concerned as to what happens when they shut down. They're concerned for their workers. They're rural. They're rural. Most of these plants are in rural communities. They provide jobs for them, and they want to keep it up and functioning. Um, the Missouri Corn Growers, Bradley Shad, said sometimes it's more expensive to shut them down than pull them back up, which is mm-hmm. why they want to keep them going. Um, but on the farmer's side, it you need to know what you're going to do with that corn if it shuts down. If you're a livestock producer, you need to have an idea of what other protein source am I going to feed my cattle if I have been relying on DDGs. So those are a couple of things that farmers need to look at and analyze and talk with them. I think it's a significant issue. We don't think about that. You know, there's a long tail to this. And the DDGs were a nice uh, protein source. Um not well loved all the time on the soybean side, but that's how this works. And so we may be turning back to, you know, roasted soybeans and things like that to get the protein up. I mean, we're going to be looking at everything. And so, yes, we'll be counting on extension for that. Um, the corn price is slumping because the demand curve is getting soft, both for ethanol and now for other markets. It saw an uptick today, but uh, 
Um, I say that on a Thursday and I don't know what it'll look like when the podcast goes live. So uh, this is not a market podcast um, today, but I guess that's the issue is um, we need to be more nimble than we've ever been before too in our marketing plans. Um, and, and so it's interesting to see how this might unfold, but at least I've got resources and I can sit in on a town hall or reach out to my, to the farm management person at you, you know, MU or whatever too, correct? Right. And those are the things that, like you said, if they don't use the DDGs and they're not available, they're going to need to figure out a different protein source that may require a different, you know, nutrition plan, a different mix, a different blend. And you're going to have to visit with your extension or someone to help you formulate that. And like I said, these extension guys, they are working hard. Um they are out there and they just haven't stopped. I mean, they're kind of like yeah. the media. They just really haven't had that slowdown or they continue to move forward. They continue to try to serve their farmers and ranchers the best way they know how. And that is through every avenue, every tool I they can possibly find. The message here is for farmers listening to this is find out how you connect in your state. It's happening whether it's in Iowa, Iowa State's been doing work, Indiana, Nebraska, these town halls and webinars are happening. If you're, and you can interact live with these folks and get good answers to questions quickly and easily through your computer. We've been talking with Mindy Ward, editor of Missouri Ruralist, about some issues with regard to not only extension and how they're reaching out in new ways, but also changes in the ethanol industry. It's been great to talk to you, Mindy. You have a great day and stay safe. Thanks, Willie. And now we head west. Out in California, there are two Farm Progress editors covering a diverse part of agriculture, Todd Fichet and Tim Heerden with Western Farm Press. We caught up with Tim Heerden this week and he surprised us, not with coronavirus concerns, but with another issue that's hitting the region's farmers. Tim Heerden, out in California, what's happening in your neck of the woods? I mean, obviously, we think about California. You've been in a lockdown as long as anybody uh, in the country, so I suppose that's top of mind. But what are farmers thinking in your area and what's really happening out there? Well... In California, we're kind of unique because we're actually facing two, um, I don't know if you would call them crises, but they're two issues that are front and center with farmers right now. One is obviously the coronavirus and the closures and, and everything that's happening with the economy because of that. But also number two is a developing drought. Much of the state is in uh, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor, much of the state is in uh, persistent or, or developing drought. And um, we've had some, uh, some water cutbacks and some decisions that, that are related to that. I think I'd like to start with coronavirus first because it's on the minds of, of, uh, of everyone. Um, right now, farmers are, are still doing their land prep and the harvest but they have limited crews and they're, they're uh, closing farms off to visitors. They're also closing farms off to reporters in a lot of cases. And so it's been, you know, we've had to, to talk to people by phone. Um, we've had Todd Fitchett, my colleague and I have both had farm visits that were canceled. On a more detailed level, there's a lack of N95 masks. Now growers, farms need them to apply certain chemicals according to federal and state regulations. According to the label, you can't apply the product without the masks. Trade associations have been trying to order masks and answer their, their, their members' questions. But when they both, both order the masks, they found that 
some of the orders are being flagged by FEMA so they can be diverted to healthcare workers. They're trying to they're trying to uh, talk to regulators about any alternatives that they could use. They haven't really gotten their, their answers questioned yet. Um, in terms of labor, in many cases, social distancing can be done in field work. Uh, I talked to a walnut and prune grower uh, recently who says his worker, workers are following the CDC guidelines, but that's, that only works, that works better with some commodities than others. Uh, the strawberry industry, their harvests, there's a pretty short window when the berries are perfectly ripe. So the workers have to be closer together and they have to move through the rows fairly quickly. And it's been a challenge to try to, to figure out ways to, um, to do that in social distance. Cattle producers are another one. You had the, the very interesting podcast last week with our colleagues back in the, the Midwest. And um, so, you know, everybody knows what they're up to, what they're up against, but it may be easy to be out there alone to fix a fence, but with things like branding calves, it's not so easy. Uh, they recommend one person handling the, the animal in a chute, one person throwing the calf, and then a, a, and then a third person doing the branding. Um, the plight of California farm workers, California has about, um, I've seen an estimate of about 400,000 farm workers. Uh, according to the UFW, only only about 10,000 are unionized and only about 20,000 others are on H-2A visas. And those visas have been uh, have had delays in processing because of the virus. But the plight of the farm workers has gotten a lot of media, international media attention lately. And farm workers are saying they're worried about getting sick, but also worried about having their hours cut because of a loss of food service orders. Many worry about whether they, they'll receive government help if they're laid off because of their immigration status. In terms of processing plants, a lot of them are going through changes in accordance with CDC guidelines. Uh, according to one report this morning, the Foster Farms uh, plant in Fresno County set up a tent in front of their entrance to make sure workers don't have a fever or other symptoms. Other plants are trying to limit the number of people who have, uh, have to physically be there, like having payroll folks do their work from home. Mm -hmm. They're also installing barriers between the workers if they can and restricting visitors. There was talk of, there's talk of putting up tarps and that sort of thing. If the workers have to be close together, at least there's something in between them. There was an interesting webinar a couple of weeks ago that I covered by Dorsey and Whitney. Uh, they're, they're an international law firm. They've been working on this problem with processors and other plants since early March. They were really one of the, the, the early ones to get involved in that. And they said that they had to, to convince people uh, at the beginning that they weren't overreacting, that this isn't just a problem for the coasts. So they put out really good information. But, you know, getting back to Fresno County, according to their ABC affiliate there, they sent out 50 code inspectors this week to businesses to make sure they're complying with the CDC guidelines. Um, so they're watching. The, the processing plants know they're being watched. And so they're trying to do everything as best they can. In California, there's no, there's still no end in sight for lifting the stay-at-home order, uh, which would include reopening restaurants, which is so important to a lot of these processing companies. 
Uh, Governor Newsom on Tuesday uh, set some preconditions. Uh, he said they'd have to include being able to test everyone who has symptoms, track down their contacts, and isolate whoever's sick. But there's there was no time frame as to when they'd reopen or, or numbers of testing kits or anything like that that they'd need to see before they start to open it up. That's a pretty good data dump on this whole thing. I wanted to back up on one, and that is what sure. are we going to do about the uh, N95 mask situation for guys who need to apply? I mean, those chemicals are also time sensitive as much as the crop is. What is there? Are the is the industry solving that problem, or what's going on there? They, as far as we know, they're still in conversations. They're still trying to get guidance, and so we will be following up on that at Western Farm Press in the coming days to make sure and to to just find out what they're doing. You know, there's some chemicals or some natural chemicals that may not require such stringent rules and may not require that actual mask. Uh, they may, you know, maybe a year to try that. But as far as I'm as far as I'm aware, those conversations are going on and we will be. Yeah. And that's also not, you know, as we talk about this on the podcast, I know I'm talking to you out in California, but that very issue is also impacting anybody using crop protection products all over the country. We need sure. those masks as proper PPE personal protective equipment. Let's shift gears for a minute and talk about this drought. You know, it's always great. COVID's absorbing all our attention. But sure. meanwhile, the ground may be changing where we can even raise crops. Yes. You know, California, I mean, drought is always on the minds of California. We just went through a five-year drought from 2012 to 2016 that was devastating. It caused a lot of land fallowing, both temporary and permanent. This year was a, we've had a lot of rain in March, but it was a it was a light rain year, a light precip year. Recently, the Bureau of Reclamation issued an announcement that this is a Shasta critical year, which means Shasta Lake at my end of the state in the far north is the more or less the centerpiece of the Central Valley project. It's the biggest reservoir. It's very full right now, but the problem is they don't think there's enough snowpack to keep it full during the summer. So they have to use some of that water uh, according to regulations, they have to use some of that water for fish. It's having an impact on on growers planning for their year. Uh, this came out after early cotton projections indicated that California would be down could be down 20 or 30 percent in cotton plantings this year already, based on gin surveys. Now those numbers could be well over 30 percent. Uh, so says Roger Isom, who's president of the California Cotton Ginners and Growers Association. He had a conversation with Todd uh, fairly recently uh, about what this means. The water cuts to farmers will be significant. Senior water right holders will now get 75% of their contracted deliveries. As junior water rights holders can expect 50% or less, depending on the area. In the San Joaquin Valley, which seems to be the, the perennial uh, ground zero of drought, uh, growers will see federal deliveries range from 15% on the west side to 40% on the east side. Word is some rice farmers are being are already being told to fallow some land this season uh, as water deliveries will be limited by some districts. Uh, for areas with groundwater, all this means all of this means more pumping from aquifers at a time. There's a new groundwater regulation coming into effect that will that will limit that. Now, 
there's one industry in particular that, that I'd like to look at, and that's rice. Industry folks are telling us too, it's too early yet to tell just how this Shasta critical designation is going to affect them. But I can tell you the last time there was a Shasta critical year or several in a, in a row was in the midst of that five-year drought. Water districts had to stagger their deliveries to keep enough water in the Sacramento River for fish, which caused delays in some of the plantings and other problems for growers. And so this, um, uh, it remains to be seen uh, what, uh, what this is gonna do, but it's just another thing that growers have to worry about in addition to uh, what's happening with the virus. It's always one thing after another, isn't it? It's just a yeah. crazy year. And it's like, of course, drought in, like you said, drought in California is news kind of. I mean, uh -huh. it's, it's, it's also kind of the way of doing business in the state as we move forward. And there's a lot of efforts going on. The UC, I'm just, University of California, I, I, I've been covering them with ag for 12 years and I never cease to be amazed at all of the stuff they do and all of the help they provide growers. And they're doing, you know, um, how to how to micro irrigate. They're doing all the all of this stuff, how to deal with drought. They're just going to be uh, all the more important going forward. Yeah, that's the other thing. And actually, earlier on this podcast, we spoke with Mindy Ward from Missouri, where extension folks University folks are actually more available in new ways because of the virus, because they can do webinars and town halls and things like that. Are you seeing similar things in California? Yes. And we just put a story up a couple of days ago. They're doing all kinds of things online. They're moving a lot of their of what they do online, uh, webinars and, and how to tutorials and that sort of thing. Um, so people can find that at, at uh, westernfarmpress.com. That's great. Well, we've been talking to Tim Hearden with Western Farm Press, one of the family of Farm Progress publications. It's been good to talk to you, sir. Uh, as I always say to people lately, stay safe. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Willie. It's good to join you. Thanks to Mindy Ward at Missouri Ruralist and Tim Hearden at Western Farm Press for their role in this week's episode of Around Farm Progress. Coronavirus is impacting our industry in many ways, but as Hearden points out, other agriculture issues can loom large, too. The entire Farm Progress team is covering the COVID-19 issue from across the country with local insights into what's happening and constructive ideas on actions producers can take to protect themselves and their businesses. That information is starting to appear in our magazines, but you can also find our coverage by visiting farmprogress.com forward slash coronavirus. Again, farmprogress.com forward slash coronavirus. This site section is constantly being updated. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer and Feedstuffs, and of course, the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.